Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the book of Romans, taking a master class from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in. Well, good morning. You guys need to turn up the energy a little bit in here. It was uh, kind of... Y'all were kind of lame a second ago. I'm just joking. It was awesome. Y'all were crushing it. It was uh, so much energy. David, uh, David is our worship pastor at the Nolensville campus and was here this morning with us. And so uh, thank you for being here uh, and being a part of uh, Rolling Hills. Can y'all give him a welcome? He hadn't been here since like some of our early, like before we actually launched. So it's the first time he's been with us on a Sunday morning uh, since we launched in September of 2021. And so just uh, what, a, what a gift to be able to, to worship with him this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to uh, be in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 is where we're at this morning. If you are new to us, this is the first time uh, that you've been ever to Rolling Hills, or maybe you've come a couple weeks and uh, maybe you haven't like poked your head up and said, I'm here yet. Uh, we are so happy that you're here. We would love for you to fill out that, uh, that guest card or that connection card um, that you got that's on the bottom of that worship guide as you came in. So if you're here, if this is your first time or maybe first couple of times, we're glad that you're here. If you haven't been in a while, uh, welcome as well. We are in Romans. We're working through the book of Romans over the next, uh, we, it's 15 weeks through the 16 chapters of Romans. That'll take us all the way through the end of the summer. Uh, and we're in week five. And so I want to do just a quick recap so everybody's on the same page. We don't do this every week, but we're kind of at a, we're at a spot where I think it's really appropriate for us to kind of take a, a step back and look at the big picture. And, Establish a couple of the high-level things. The, the first is this, that we, we talk about this, and you kind of hear me say it over and over again, that this book, Romans, this letter to the Romans, uh, is written by Paul, and it was not his first letter. It's not the first letter that he wrote, but it's one of the, the fullest explanations of the gospel that Paul writes. He writes much of the New Testament. Uh, it, what we have is the New Testament or letters that Paul wrote to different churches. It's an important book, and, and just to list a couple of ways, or we've listed in the past, and we'll do again in the future, there are so many places where God has used the book of Romans in the lives of individuals and churches to begin revivals in, their, in, in the church and, and in areas like countries where it kind of sparked through the book of Romans. And that's why, you know, honestly, if you're here, if you've been here for a minute, you've heard me say this before, and I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to invite you, even if you haven't been so far working with us through our daily steps, uh, or if you don't have a journey. I think we still have some journals out there. I'd love for you to just jump in now, right? We're starting this week is chapter five. You don't have to worry about, oh, I didn't do one through five. That's okay. We're not grading this at the end of the semester, right? You don't have to turn these in. I'm like, I was a teacher for a little while and I loved when they turned in their journals. Like I was actually reading their journals. I was like, yep, you did it. That's great. I'm not doing that, right? I'm not, I, you don't have to turn in your journal, right? I was that teacher. You're like, oh, public education, you're the problem. Yep, you're right. Um, <laughs> So, but, but anyway, the, the, 
the reality, like, just jump in. Jump in. Don't worry you haven't gone one through five, right, or one through four. Jump in chapter five this week and, and read along with us because uh, it, it really is. God has used this book in so many ways, and I believe that he'll do uh, that for you. Uh, like I said, we're, we're in chapter five, and bring it in a little bit closer. What we've done through the first couple of chapters, one through four, is really as Paul writes this letter. Remember, it's a letter. We, we say it's a book, but it's a letter initially. Right? And he didn't write it in chapters. That was added later. Chapters and verses were added later. But we've worked through the first four, what we've determined as chapters. And what he really covers in those four chapters is really kind of this, uh, and, and what happens now is kind of turning a quarter. But those, those first four chapters and, really, and, and kind of the, as we work through chapter five is really the groundwork and the basics. It's the foundational. He's going to continue a lot of these arguments and, and kind of helping us understand some theological things. But a lot of it, he's laying the groundwork specifically in these first four chapters to say this is the gospel. This is the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done and what that means for us. He's revealing God's righteousness, that God is righteous and holy, and that all humanity, no matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, what's been done to you, no matter, who, no matter what, that all of us are unrighteous and separated from God because of our sin, that we're trapped in our sin, is some of the words that he uses, that we're trapped in it. We can't escape from that sin. We've been declared guilty and that we're in need of a rescue. And over the past couple of weeks, we've, that's a part of what we've done is really kind of, and I know that sounds real dark, but like that's a part of what this, the, 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 the book of Romans really begins with is just to understand the depths of our need for a Savior. So that when Jesus shows up as the Savior, it's like, oh yeah, I need a Savior. And so our righteousness and our rescue that, that we desperately need won't come from who we are and what we do. That we can never be good enough, we can never do enough, but God and his love and his grace, by grace, provides for us righteousness through Jesus. That on the, on the cross and his death and resurrection, which is the gospel, we have an opportunity to be rescued. And that we receive that, we trust, we put our faith in that, we receive what God has given us. And that he's given us new life. Through faith and that righteousness that's, that, that is ours because of what Christ has done. And so this is the basics. And what happens in, in chapter 5 is really kind of it moves from the basics to the benefits. Right? Because these things are true, this is the benefit for those of us who are followers of Christ. These are the things that are true of us because of what Christ has done. And what we're going to see, the result of this is of being justified by our faith and the benefits of us being justified that we learn in this chapter. And these are words that Paul says that there's so much more. So much more. So much more to this incredible life that Christ has purchased for us and by grace invited us into. And so this morning, if you're following along, on your worship guide, the first kind of note there for us is that what we're going to walk through are, is the seven, seven truths that change everything. Seven truths, seven benefits, seven results that change everything. 
And I know some of you have been around for a while and you're like, T, we go through three and it takes you a long time. How are we going to get through seven? Uh, hey, listen, buckle up, you know. It's, uh, we're going to be here for a minute, you know. That's, I'm, I'm joking. Uh, I, I mean, we may be here for a minute. Uh, but we're, we're, we're going we're to move through these. Uh, I'm excited about kind of just what this passage says. And, and, and again, this is one of those spots where I will say, the reason, like what, what, I, what I hope is we work through the book of Romans each week is, is one, that we open up, that God's word is opened up and, and he opens our eyes to the beauty of his word, but that you carry from here, kind of as we walk through it, my desire is to, as we walk through it, to give us a picture of, of how to read scripture. To, it's not just that I want to preach and, and I love preaching, but hopefully I'm teaching a little bit of how to read scripture, how to work through scripture. So when you go home, you jump in daily steps, you're reading chapter five and you're like, okay, I see this. It's plain. I'm not coming up with some crazy thing, some mystery. It's plain to, plainly there for you. And so you're working through it and, and, and expounding on and God's opening up your eyes continuously to what we are, are working through as we walk through it here on Sunday morning. So this isn't the end. This is the beginning is really what I'm saying. You have work to do when you go home as we walk through this. So let's, let me pray for us, uh, and then we will, um, we'll dive into to chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for this morning. And we do, God, there, there's all that we can bring is our gratitude, our hallelujah, God, that you have done everything that was necessary. God, we could do nothing. We could bring nothing. If there's anything that Romans teaches us, if there's anything that this letter that, that, that Paul, by the, by the direction and the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, teaches us, is that we had nothing to offer, but you offered yourself on our behalf. And God, we pray as we learn those basics, as we study the basics of the gospel and the truth, this, this grounding, this foundation for us, that we would understand these benefits of who this is what the gospel offers us. And it would change everything for the way that we live the life that you've called us to. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen and amen. Beginning in verse 1, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it's, Paul writes this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God, our Lord Jesus. The first thing that, that I want you to see that, that's right there in this beginning, and we've already talked about this, so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time, but this is, the, he says, therefore, right, in this, what's the therefore, right, all of what we've got in this, since you've been justified, since you have been justified, the first thing is that you have been justified completely. We've said this over and over again. This justification is an essential core doctrine to the faith, to, to Christian faith. Martin Luther calls justification the cornerstone of Christianity. To justify ourselves, is, and we've, we've, I said this a couple weeks ago, justifying ourselves is, is, is the human like condition. What we do is we justify ourselves. Rebecca and I had a, little, had a conversation yesterday that maybe got elevated. That, I know that ha doesn't happen to y'all. Uh, Rebe Rebecca's my wife, if you're, not, if you're new here. And um, I, I don't, I mean, I usually, it's just perfect between us. But yesterday something happened. It was a little bit off. And, uh, and I spent a lot of time justifying why I was right. She did not believe that. And I still don't understand why she didn't. But that's the human condition. We do it. We justify ourselves. When something happens, we're, we're, we're built to justify because we know that something's wrong and we want to justify ourselves. We make excuses for why we did or said something. But justification in the Bible isn't the same. Like we're not making a justification. What justification in the Bible says to, to somebody, to justify someone in scripture is different. 
It means that somebody that was guilty has been declared innocent. Somebody that was unrighteous has been declared righteous in the eyes of the law. All, that, all, the, all the, the laws that, they had been, that had been broken, they are covered up. They're, they're, they're gone away. They've been wiped clean. And it means you've been declared righteous. You didn't do righteous things to be called righteous. You've been declared what you were not. And what Scripture says, you've been justified completely. That God doesn't look and say, yeah, I declare you righteous-ish. There's not partial justification. There's not, you're not almost justified. When you put your faith in Jesus, you are completely justified. What God sees in you is no longer what you were. It's what you are in his eyes, that he treats you as if you had never done anything wrong. Jesus was hung on a cross, and it says that, that he was made to be sin, right? It's not that he became sin on the cross. It's that God treated him as if he had done all the things that we did. And in, in turn, he treats us as if we had done all the things that Christ did. We're justified. You're justified completely. we got to keep moving. We're justified completely. It means you're no longer condemned, that you have a new righteousness, and that you have peace with God. And that's the second benefit that we see in this passage if you go back to, the, to, to that second half of, of verse 1, it says, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with him. Not the peace of God, which we talk about and we'll talk a little bit more about. Ephesians says that you have the peace of God, and that's awesome. And it, it, it's understanding his provision and his power, the peace that flows from knowing that he's present with us. And it's good stuff, but it's not the same as peace with God. You see, the peace of God comes because we have peace with him. We don't have peace of unless we have peace with. And the peace with God means this, that you were once an enemy of God. And now he calls you friend. You were once opposed to him and now you are with him. Your, your peace, that you, it's, it's the benefit of justification. It's the benefit of, of this righteousness that we have is that this relationship that was once hostile, the two of us were, were, were hostile toward, or we were hostile towards God and God could not be with us because of our sin, but because we put our faith in him, we've been justified by him through, by grace, through faith, that we have peace with God, that we are, we are at peace with him. And we're not talking about a momentary peace, right? We're not talking about this, hey, we're friends right now, but tomorrow we won't be. We're talking about an eternal peace because it wasn't us that did anything to create the peace. It's what Christ did and what Christ did is final. And so our peace is final. We have eternal peace with God. That all of the things that were against us, all of the problems, all of the, the fighting is gone between us and God. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. So, some of us, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around the reality that we were enemies. But once we grasp that, and that's essential, once we grasp that, that, there, was, that there, was, there was a problem between us and God, and God took care of that problem, and by justifying us, he made peace for us, that he brought us near. Man, it's overwhelming when we recognize that. And then it takes it a step further. If you go to the third thing, the third benefit is that we have access to him. We have access to God. He's made peace, but he's also given us access. Romans 
5, chapter 2, it says, Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of, hope of the glory of God. That we have access to him. From peace, he takes it one step further and God opens the door and brings us near. He leaves the door open. He says, you, you, you have eternal access, that, that there's nothing anymore that stands between you and I, not only in our relationship, but I'm saying you can come to me anytime you desire, that we have access to him. I think about that and just the, the, the reality that, that we're able to come to him, that he invites us to bring our things to him, that we have this favorable position with him. And that's the language that, 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 that access, the language here that we have this favorable position that, that any time we desire that we can go to the king. That's one thing when we say we have access to our buddy, right? And you have a, if you have teenagers, you, you know that like the, the access that we have to people or that they have to you via a, a cell phone is pretty ridiculous, right? Sometimes during the day when one of my sons texts me from school, I'm like, what are you doing? You're in school, right? You can't text, but he has access to me at all moments. And sometimes that's infuriating. And there's also the reality that I have access to them. Right? My parents didn't know where I was lots of times. They found out later when I was an adult and I couldn't get in trouble anymore. I have acts, I can see on, their, on the phone, I can track every breath that they breathe. It's ridiculous. I have access to him, but it, when we say we have access to the king, it's overwhelming. The favorable position that we have to the king. When you talk in, in the Old Testament, the book, uh, Esther has this moment where she has this, where, where she's going to go before the king and bring the needs of the Israelite people before the king. And she calls for a fast, right? She says, for such a time as this, but she calls for a fast that, that maybe, maybe God would give her access and maybe the king would be kind to her because you can't just bring things before the king. She was literally taking her life into her own hands. That's an Old Testament story. It's a beautiful story of God's provision for, the, for, the peop, for his people there. But that's not the way it is for us, that we have access for him. We're not worried about whether or not he'll be okay with us walking in the room. I thought about it this week and uh, I was just the, thinking about people in our world that like it would be wild to have access to. And, I, and the, you know, there's, there's plenty of people. Mine was, uh, what would it be like to have access to Elon Musk? Like right now, if I was like, do, 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 and, and I, I give him a holler or I text him and whatever, or, you know, like, could you imagine if I, if I, guys, y'all, some of y'all know me, if I could call Elon on the way home from work and be like, hey, let's talk about rockets. I've had some experience with rockets on the 4th of July and on New Year's. I've watched a couple movies about rockets. Let me, let me, let me tell you, I think I can solve some of your problems. I, like, I think I'm pretty sure I could make him question some decisions he's made in his life if he gave me access to him in, a, like, in just a couple of seconds. He'd be like, this guy's an idiot. I'm going to hang up. But God has given us access, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of everything that we can see, taste, smell, touch, hear, all of it. Everything has given us access because, because we've been justified. We have peace with him and now we have access to him. To bring before him anything. 
It says we have, a, in Hebrews, it says we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we have been, and yet he did not sin. Let us then approach, meaning we have the ability to approach, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence, not shrunk heads, but confidence, knowing that I've been invited into this place. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We've been given this access. He says, come to me and I will give you peace. That's, he gives us the peace of God because we have access to him because of the peace with him. The fourth thing that we have is we have a hope of glory. We have a hope of glory. And that's where we see in the, in the end of that last verse, in the end of verse 2, where he says, and we boast in this, that we have a hope of glory. He tells us not to boast in much, but he tells us that we can boast in this, that we can be proud of this, that we have hope of glory. And what is glory? What does this, this word glory mean, right? We, it's, it's what in Romans 3, 23, it's what we've fallen short of. It's what Adam and Eve had in the garden before they sinned. They had the experience of being in glory, the shining radiance of God's presence. They were with God in, in perfect unity with God before sin broke that unity. It means that we get to be with him where we most want to be in all of creation is to be with him where there's nothing that separates. We have access, but we also have, but that access to him in this moment is, is through this, through prayer and through this inter intercession and through worship as we sing to him and as we come to him in his word. But we have this hope that there's going to be a moment where that's not even the, the things that separate us here, that that's never going to separate us again, that we have this eternal hope of being with God forever. Being in the very place, in the very presence of the person that we were created to be with, in relationship with, that's unbroken. There we have hope of glory. We can have hope that, that in this world, that this is not all there is. There's a hope that this is, because this is not my, this is not my home. My home is with him. And I have, a, I have this thing to boast about. There's not much to boast about. There's very little that we have this, this pride about. It's that I get to be with him forever. This past week in, in the church world, and some of you uh, maybe know who I'm talking about. There's an individual, a guy named Tim Keller, who has struggled with cancer over the past several years. And, and on Friday afternoon, Friday morning, I think, uh, passed away at, at the age of 72 or 73. If you don't know who Tim Keller is, he's a pastor of a church called Redeemer Prez in New York. And uh, and he's written tons of books and in so many ways. And, and some folks that are in this room, because they went to Redeemer, God used their time at Redeemer and the teaching of, of Tim Keller just to, to open their eyes and, and, and kind of just in a dark time. It's not exactly the same for me, but his, his, the teaching that God has allowed him to teach and, and the way that he's written has really been influential in my life. And he passed away on Friday. And on Friday, they, his family posted this, or, or actually it was Thursday, I think, his family posted on some uh, social media platform that, uh, as they prayed um, for him, he told the family, he says, I I'm thankful for all the people who prayed for me. I'm thankful for the many years, over, over the past several years, I'm thankful for my family who, that loves me. I'm thankful for the time that God has given me here, but I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus send me home. 
And then just after his family left, it says that his son writes this, that his, his family leaves and it's just mom and dad in the room. And she kissed him on the forehead right before he breathed his last. And he said these words, there's no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. I'll see you soon. How do we, how can somebody face that moment where, where all that you've known and, 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 and where this flesh and the, and the friendships, how can somebody face that moment and be glad to cross over to the other side unless he knows, unless there's a confidence that there's, there is something far greater that this is just the shadow of the, of the, gro- the glory that he'll experience, that, that what, is, what has separated, even though we have access to God and God has made peace with us, for us, with him, that what else could give this man? And, and man, we don't get to see people die well very often, but what a gift to be able to have this in some part, to be able to say, listen, there is something far greater than this. And it's not streets of gold, it's the presence of God. It's what our heart is longed for. Listen, if you have heaven without Jesus, it's not heaven because that's what we've longed for since the very beginning. And we get a taste of it when we get to be with each other, when we open up his word, when we sing songs, when we, when we pray, we get this taste of, oh, this is what it's supposed to be like. And then we get to be with him forever. The benefit of this justification, this benefit of this basics of what Paul has taught us so far is that we get to be, there's a hope for us, that we get to be with the one who created us forever. There's a hope of glory. The fifth thing is that we have joy and suffering. We have this I love the way that he builds this argument, right? He he goes from that we've been justified, we have peace, we have access, and then we're going to get to be with him forever. That's incredible. But then he kind of brings us back down to where we are right now. Hey, I know where you are right now. Verse 3 through 5, it says, not only so, not only do we have hope for glory, but we also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character hope. We can have hope of glory knowing that this is not all that it is. We have something to look forward to, but Paul's not covering up the reality for all of us that we walk through some pretty horrible things in life where we are right now. And at this point in, in Paul's ministry, I mean, we, we've, that he says that we can have joy and suffering. He's not saying that we can just grin and bear it. Literally, this is another place where he says you can boast in the fact that we have glory, right? We can boast in the fact that we have a hope of glory. But you can also boast now in that you suffer and you can have joy in that suffering. James, the brother of Jesus, says consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And at this point in Paul's journey and his relationship with Christ, he's had a fair amount of trials and tribulations. There's been a fair amount of things that he's walked through that he's saying, listen, I can tell you because I've done it, I can tell you that there's something to rejoice in even in the midst of suffering because in the midst of suffering, God's doing something. Now there's one thing to be able to say, I can't wait to be with Jesus. It's another thing. It's so countercultural to say, I'm glad to walk through even the hardest moments 
that you can imagine right now because I know that God is not wasting it. There's a story that I read this week that Billy Graham tells the story of a, a friend who lost everything. An incredible series of setbacks. He lost his job. He lost all of his financial security. He lost his family and what looked like he lost his future. The only thing he had left was his faith in God. And one day he was walking through the streets of a major city where they were, they were repairing this cathedral in the city. And he watched this man, the stonemason, who was chipping away at this triangular piece of stone. And after a while, he asked the man, he says, what are you doing? Because he's, he's kind of like the steeple is way up tall and he's, he's here at the bottom. And he's chipping away this tri just piece of stone. And he, says this, that he, said, he said to the man, uh, this tiny triangular space between the spire, he, he looked up and he said, do you see, you see that space way up there, that small space in the spire? He said, I'm, I'm, I'm working down here. I'm shaping this down here so it will fit up there. And he says the man walks away and his eyes filled, filled with tears, recognizing that that's what God was doing in his life, that he was shaping him down here, that he would fit up there. And that James Montgomery Boyce, an incredible author and pastor, writes this. He says, indeed, the painful experiences of our lives are a part of God's shaping program for you and for me, that he shapes us. While we, while we are living on the earth so that, we get to, so that we're ready to be with him forever in eternity. That he's shaping us. He molds us. He's not wasting those things. He knows what we need and he's measuring it, right? He knows exactly what we need and he's not, he's not going to allow us to go past what he knows that we can bear, right? He, he, he does push us past what we think we can bear, but he's not going to allow us to go past what he knows we can bear. And he's using those things. He's not wasting it. He knows what it takes. He's carefully measured what we can face to produce the fruit of righteousness that he desires for us to, pursue, to, to produce. The sixth thing is that we have love that goes beyond understanding. A love that goes beyond understanding. Verses 5 through 11, it says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out on us and poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. You see, at just the right time when we were powerless, as David read this and, and quoted it earlier, that Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by the wrath of, from God's wrath through him? For if while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more have we been reconciled? Having been reconciled, shall we be saved in this life? Not only, so, not only this, not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let me ask you this question. When did God start loving you? Like I can go back to tell you the, the moment, right, the moment that I started loving my wife. It was the moment that I saw her. I fell head over heels. She's not even in here. I'm not even winning any points for this. I fell head over heels the moment I saw her. 
I walked back to the, the room I was staying in. Was, I was at, working at a camp. I walked back. She was a counselor. I know many of you all have seen it or heard me say that. For those of you who are new, she was a chaperone with a church group. I was not, I mean, she was not a camper. That's clear. I walked back to the room that I was staying in and I told the guys in the room, I'm going to marry that woman. I fell in love moment one. It took her a little longer. It took her a little longer. But the question for, you, for us is, when did God start loving you? Was it that moment at church camp when you raised your hand and said, I want to trust Christ for salvation? Was it on your first mission trip maybe? When you're like, God loves me now. Well, was it, was it when, when, you, when you shared Christ with somebody for the first time and you're like, man, God really loves me now. I, I didn't know before, but I know God loves me now. I mean, we could go through a whole litany of questions, but the reality is the, the scripture says, this passage that, we were, that we've just read says way before all of those things, God loved you. In fact, when you were worthless, when there was nothing lovable about you, when, when you were not even thinking about God, he loved you. That's what we say, you've heard me pray before, that, that he loved us first. The only reason we love him is because he loved us first. And he loved us long before we were lovable. Long before we deserved to be loved. Long before we were even looking at him and thinking about him. Long before those things, he loved us. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated, we know that he loved us. How do we know that he loved us? Because it says it in this passage that God demonstrated, he put it on display. He demonstrated his own love for us that while we were sinners, he died for us. Not when we were ready to be loved, way before we were ready, way before we were even thinking about it. He loved us and he put it on display. Jesus says that, that God so loved the world. Listen, the whole world, all of his creation, but we he can say, God loved you so much that he sent his only son way before you were thinking about it. Listen, none of you were around when this happened. But he loved you so much that he sent his only son that anybody who would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And it's not that he just loved you a little bit. John also writes, he says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that he has poured this love out to overflow, that his love is not just an ounce of love. We are flooded by his love. In those moments, listen, this is so good. In the moments when we, are being, when we feel like we're being flooded with suffering and sorrow and just things that come against us, we can know that in those moments that God is using that and he's not going to let it go past what we can bear, what, he, what he'll allow us and give us strength to hold up under. And in those same moments, he has flooded us immensely more with his love. He has lavished his love. On us. And so that brings us to another question. Now that he has loved us, how much more does he love us in this moment? Now that we have been set right, now that we are justified and have peace with him, in those moments as we're walking through life and the sorrows and all of those things, how much more does his love poured out on us? We have no questions of God's love from Scripture. One of the greatest benefits that all believers have because we've been justified and have peace with God is that we are loved by God completely. 
And that the seventh is this, that we have grace that is greater than sin. Grace that is greater than sin. And Paul goes back to, last chapter, he goes back to Abraham. He's going to go all the way back to Adam. He's going to say, hey, listen, Adam sinned once. And because of Adam's sin, all sin, sin entered the world and all of us sin. But Jesus came and because of his righteousness, because of his grace, what Adam broke, Jesus, Jesus restored. Adam's sin was great, but Jesus' grace is better. It's greater. And we have grace that is greater than sin. We have grace that is greater than sin. With the law, it says in verse 20, it says, The law brought in so that the trespasses might increase, so that we would see the greatness, so we would see just how great our sin is. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that where sin reign in death, so also grace may reign through righteousness and bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes, sin is great, but grace is greater. Sin is great, but grace is greater. And the secret to joy and the hope and all of these promises, according to, to what it says in verse 20, is that if you're in Christ, our sin cannot outpace God's grace. Your sin cannot outpace God's grace. The problem is that we get caught up looking at ourselves and we swallow in the, in the, in the, the issues and the sorrows and the, and the troubles and the places that we failed. And the reality is, I, I love what, what uh, Robert Murray McShaney writes. He says, every one of us, when we look at ourselves, we should take 10 looks at Christ. Yes, right. I mean, you, we sin. We fall short, right? Yes, we've been justified, which means we've been declared right. But I'm not perfect, right? I still sin. And in those moments, rather than, than taking a look and, and staring at my sin, what, what he encourages and what Scripture says is stop looking at your sin and look at Christ. Yes, you have sinned, but look at Christ because Christ is greater than your sin. But so many of us, we, we, we take ourselves out of the ability to be used by God because we can't stop staring at the places that we've fallen. And he's saying, no, listen, look at me because my, my grace has outpaced your sin. It's greater. You were never worthy. It's only what I did. And now today, you, you got, what we do is we turn our eyes from ourselves and the, and the things that we've messed up and the places that we've messed up, we confess them and know that God is righteous and forgives us of our sins and we put our eyes on Jesus, who is our firm foundation. He's the one that gives us life. And we talk about this this morning. I, I think it's, it's just so fitting and, and you know, Yes, we do a lot of planning around here, but, but it's just so beautiful how God puts things together. Because as we celebrate this day in the lives of our students, in the lives of our, our high school students and graduation, there's so much of this teaching that I wish that God, so much of what's happening in Romans that I wish that I would have listened to. Because I know that somebody taught it. I know that somebody taught it well. But I just read it, wasn't ready to listen. I wish that I would have listened to this before I walked, walked out and grad, went to college and began living, a, living that life there. Before that, that foundation began to shake for me. 
and I forgot the benefits or really didn't understand the benefits of this foundational truth of what justification means for us. If we walk through the basics of it, what are the benefits? I wish that I would have remembered that. And what I hope is for our students is that, hey, listen, for, for our high school students that are graduating, is that you hear this, is that, hey, this is the truth of what God did for you. And these are the truths of who you are because of it. These are not benefits that you get to take. This is who you are. High school students, you are, you have peace with God. You are justified. You have peace with God. You have access. You can have joy in suffering. All of these seven truths, these are who you are. And you're going to face things that are going to challenge that. But this doesn't change because God's word remains faithful and never changes. And I want to say that to our seniors in high school. I want to say it to our, our juniors and our, our sophomores and any, any kid that's in here. But listen, if we want them to live that out, and I know some of you parents are like, yeah, that's awesome. But if we want them to live it out, then we've got to believe it too. We've got to live it out in front of them. That we understand that we've been justified by grace through faith and the benefits of what God has done in our lives, these truths that change everything, are who we are. We've got to live like it. It's a challenge, but God's given us everything that we need. It wasn't us that earned it. It wasn't us that got here. If you've trusted Christ for salvation, these things are true of you. And if we live like that, the next generation will see it and they'll know that it's true in our lives and they know that they have access to it as well. I, I love this moment for us as we get to celebrate our students. And, and we're, the band's going to come and we're just going to sing one, one more song uh, just, for our, just as a close for us today. And just a reminder that Christ is our firm foundation. And just that reminder for all of us, but we want to sing this. And in some way, adults, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to sing it and, and, and kind of meditating over it, but also singing it over our students. If you have kids, if you have kids and you're standing next to you, I, I, want, you to, I want you to grab a hold of it and let, like, I, it may feel awkward, but I hope that it's one of those moments where they know that their parents are saying, hey, he is mine and he is yours. And it may feel awkward for a moment, but it may be that moment that they go back to over and over in their minds that, yes, Jesus is my firm foundation. And it's worth being awkward for a moment with our kids. If years down the road, God brings that back to, be remind, to help them remember who he is and who they are because of who he is. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with friends and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.